The New Testament reading is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's, a, it's a joy to be continuing and thinking through the Ten Commandments together, and we're looking at commandment number three today, uh, which we'll proceed with together. Let me, um, let me pray before we start. Lord, we've heard your word read and declared. I pray, Lord, as we continue to think it through and uh, meditate on what you've said to us and where you're directing us, I pray, Lord, you give us uh, minds to be switched on and engaged. I pray, Lord, you'd be with me as I speak. I pray, Lord, you'd help all of us to have hearts that are not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh because of the work your spirit is doing in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a confession. Um, it's a, an embarrassing thing, but I oh, look, you're better, better off knowing the guy that's talking to you than, than not. Um, I, I put my foot in my mouth recently while teaching in a school. I was telling the students about the beginning of the Bible and we talked about the fall and we talked about the flood and we got to the story of the Tower of Babel and I said to the students, what's an F word that you can think of to talk about <laughs> that? I was thinking foolish would have been, <laughs> would have been a good word. Uh, apparently I was the fool to phrase it like that. Um, I actually went with the word confusion is the word I actually went with. Um, and, but, you know, I was, I, was, um, I was the one confused. They had immediately thought of a different word, as you had, can I say. And this is the point that I want to make, first of all, is that swearing comes easily. Swearing comes very easily. You don't need a high intelligence to swear and to use the, the mouths that God has given us for ill use and not for good. Swear words, profanity, it's socially offensive use of language. You know, they're just sounds that come out of your mouth. It's interesting, isn't it? But, but as a culture, we know what words are unacceptable and which words aren't. It's, I'm not even at this point talking about what words God hasn't told us to use. Socially speaking, there are words that you know are, they, they get a point across. They get an emotional emotion across. Simple words that flow out of a person's mouth used as an adjective 
or as an exclamation. But you know, throwing around God's name as a swear word is tragic and it's offensive. It is offensive. And even though I am still in my introduction, <laughs> I want to put out a little gentle rebuke. It is, it is really amazing when in a Christian circle we hear, I hear, we hear, uh, oh my God, or Jesus Christ mentioned. It, it, it really should not be. It just should not be in this context. And um, uh, I want to go on to speak about greater things, but it's just worth, um, worth putting it out there and let's, let's do better. I know I'm talking to a very, very small minority, um, but it's, uh, it's an outward show that we don't, we tend, we can tend not to think about what we say uh, before we say it. The third commandment tells us not to misuse the name of God. Exodus 20 verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But this command goes much deeper than simply avoiding God and Jesus Christ as swear words. It goes much more deeper than that, and it's much more profound. So, so stick with me, and I'm going to go through three, three points. The first point is, um, what is the name of God? The name of God, let's talk about that for a, for a minute. Um, it's not a magic word, but a reality of his divinity. It's not a magic word like, I, I don't know if you remember the movie Beetlejuice. You could say the word Beetlejuice three times, and, and this Beetlejuice character would turn up and rack, wreak havoc in your house. It's not a magic word that you need to... Uh, avoid at all costs. Uh, it's knowledge of who God is and referring to him always in truth and honour. Referring to him always in truth and honour. Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 is a famous part of the Bible where God presents his name to Moses and it's not Greg or Barry or Simon. His name is, he says in Exodus 3.13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. It's not simply a name, but the reality of his divinity. The name is I am. Uh, it's, a, it's a statement of his eternal condition. Uh, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. And the end of the Bible declares, God declares that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's a statement about his divinity. He, he's not, he is not part of the created order. He doesn't sit alongside us. He is above us. He created us and the world that we live in. And he was always before it, above it, uh, is constantly part of it, overseeing it. And he will, be, he will be, continue to be, long after this earth has passed away. So this phrase, I am, was given to Moses to declare to Israel that I am the one who sent you. Uh, it, it's... It's who God declared himself to be. And then the word Yahweh is what is used, um, which really is he is, because the Israelites don't say the I am, they say he is. It's a third person uh, statement. So Yahweh is the name of God that he gave to Moses. 
We don't see the, the word Yahweh printed in our Bibles. The way we see it is uh, the word Lord cap, uh, printed in all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The word Lord is in our Bibles. As you're reading your Bible and you see that there, you can quite happily know, remind yourself, this is Yahweh, this is the I Am uh, that has been referred to. I'm not going to go into the reasons why that's there. You can um, go to Wikipedia and find out that. It's historic um, and it's not superstitious, although there's a little bit of superstition in there. And I don't want to waste too much time here talking about that. I want to say this about the name of God, that he declared it to us, that it's a declaration from him to us, not us to him. In Exodus 3, 13 to 15, it was God who said to Moses, this is the name that I am to give you. You might remember that at the beginning of the Bible, God put Adam in the garden and said, here is planet Earth, you're welcome, and, uh, and go and rule it, be Lord over it, uh, and go and name all the animals. So Adam got out and he started naming all the animals. There's something about um, the order of authority that goes with the direction of a name. Uh, and authority comes with, um, with care. Authority is not always dictatorship. Authority is about love and protection. And so Adam begins to name the, the world that he is Lord of. But that's not the same. That is not how we know God. We didn't name him. He declares his name to us. We can't name him or tame him. He is untamable. He's known, he's known actually by many names. Yahweh is not this, this sacred name that we attach to him and no other name. He says in Exodus 34 verse 14 that his name is Jealous, for I am a jealous God. He says, and we read this every Christmas in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, he says, uh, calls himself Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He goes by many names and the names all declare who he is. They're a declaration, it's information for us, it's knowledge about him so that we can worship him in knowledge and in truth and not through superstition and mystery. He seeks to be known in truth and he has entrusted his name in the first place to Israel. In the Old Testament, he was entrusting his name to Israel. In Exodus 6, verse 2, we read, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham. So I am Yahweh, he says. I appeared to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. See, God is in the process, in the scriptures, of making himself more and more known. And at this point, as he, re, as he speaks to Moses, he's entrusting a name, not just to Moses, but to the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And so he gives them the name for authorised use only. And this is my second point. He's giving them his name, but they need to use it for, for the, the purpose that it's been given. Israel was given a very special task by God, and he entrusted them with his name. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, this is the context. Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6, the context that the Ten Commandments come under. Uh, it sets the scene for what he's about to say when he delivers the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 19, verse 4, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant... 
then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, inside Israel, there was a tribe called the Levites, and they were the priests inside Israel. So that for the whole nation of Israel, this one tribe, the Levites, were representative of God. So they could have sins uh, named and forgiven, uh, animals sacrificed. That's their interact. That's their go-between, their priestly status inside Israel. But for the world, the whole nation of Israel was a priest. They were a priestly nation, so that the whole world could look at Israel and see what God is doing in them and give praise and glory to God. What a great God who brings them out of Egypt. What a great God who brings them into a land and protects them from from strife and famine and gives them a great harvest. What a great God who has given them a name to worship, not a mystery, but they can worship God with uh, with all their heart, mind, and soul and strength because they know God, because God has carried them on eagle's wings and redeemed them. Israel is to be a spokes, a, a people of, of priests to the, to the whole world. Inside Israel, there were also prophets. God called, raised up prophets who would speak the words of God in the name of God. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy 18, verse 18 and 19, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the, the fellow, uh, sorry, from their, let me start there again. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So this is a very important role, isn't it? That God raises up a prophet. Uh, entrusts them with words to speak to Israel and if they fail to speak it then they've failed their duty if they speak it and they say to Israel I speak in the name of the Lord thus says the Lord and they speak and if Israel doesn't listen then there's a problem because if they are representing God to Israel carrying the very words so that Israel could know this God but there's a there is a but in verse 20 Deuteronomy 18 verse 20 but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. It's very important that this role is, is done correctly. To speak in the name of the Lord is to declare that I'm, I'm speaking truth into this world that you cannot question. But... For a prophet to speak something outside the authority of God is to misuse his name. For the, for the nation to overlook, forget, ignore, disregard the word of the Lord that's been spoken in the name of the Lord is, is, uh, is to misuse, is to uh, push aside the very words of God. But a prophet who says more than he should is, uh, is not fulfilling his role properly and misusing the name of the Lord. There's a privilege that comes with speaking in the name of God to use his name properly with the authorised manner. But of course, as every, as every command we talk about up here, Israel failed. They failed their job as a priestly nation. Uh, we're not going to condemn them because we are human too. 
but we're going to read about it, and I'm going to read from Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. I'm going to read a fair chunk of this. It speaks for itself. I'll, I'll comment along the way. But Israel failed in the first place because as God's chosen people, they completely violated the land that God had given to them. So Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. See, as, as, as the priestly nation, they had not represented God well at all. They had shed blood in the land and they had turned to idols. They have immediately disobeyed commandments number one and two and they are not representing God on earth. And so God scatters them. We, we call this the exile, and, uh, and God scattered them. And then verse 20, we read, And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, These are the Lord's people. And yet they had to leave his land. I had, I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations, where they had gone. And so even in exile... It's, it's not that they continued to turn to idols, but that the nations look at this and they say, look, this is, the, this is God's precious people. He mustn't be a very strong God. His name is lowered by the very fact that, that they have misrepresented him and now scattered across the nation. The promise of God to keep them safe in the Holy Land is, a dis, is discrediting the name of God. So what's God going to do about this? Verse 22 says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which, you, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am pro proved holy through you, before their eyes, for I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't this incredible that just as God had redeemed Israel out of Egypt to begin with and carry them on eagle's wings into their own land they they proved themselves um uh unauthorized or they inadequate to carry the great name of god and so god exiles them but for because of god's great name he will redeem them again but not the same way that he did the first time under moses he's going to do this in a much grander way he's going to raise up a prophet from among them. Do you remember the reading I gave you in Deuteronomy 18? He's going to raise up from among their people a prophet like, like Moses who will speak the very words of God. And you know the name of that prophet, don't you? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the, the one who speaks the very name of God among us. 
He proves himself to be uh, the righteous one, representing God. Jesus is the prophet that God raised up and who speaks the words of God. John chapter 10, verse 25, John 10, 25, Jesus said, The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Just like a prophet of the Old Testament, they were, they were, they were proven to be speaking God's word or not based on what they said would come true. And if they, were, if they performed a miracle, that was a sign that they, they were speaking the very words of God in the name of God. And Jesus declares, I come in the name of, of the Father, and my works prove it. John 5, verse 43, Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. Israel, who is... don't even know that God's about to do a great big miracle among them has raised up the prophet of all prophets and has given them a clear word from God and yet still Israel is, re is rejecting him. And you know, Jesus goes even further. Jesus goes even further than this. Not only is he a prophet, but he says this in John eight fifty eight. He says, very truly I tell you, this is a phrase when Jesus says this, it's like he's eyeballing you and he says, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say to you. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. God had sent himself. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the second part of the Trinity, into this world to speak the very words of God in his name. And this is where the Bible shines brightly in the third commandment because we get to this, my third point, which is that there is no other name that we need to bother about than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, we have a creed there, which we say from time to time in church. Philippians chapter 2, 9 to 11, the, the he, Jesus has the name that is above all other names. Let me remind you what Philippians 2 says, that Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, more than a prophet, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That part of the creed begins with Jesus, who is in very nature God. He is God. And, but he descends to earth and takes on the form of a human and even dies a death. And not only that, but the death of a cross, of a crucifixion. It was a shameful death. People who were crucified in the first century were a byword. They were a curse. And so can you see the, the poetry of this? That Jesus, who has a name above all other names, was willing to drag his name through the mud. Something that we do quite simply. God did profoundly. So that he could take away our sins. And so the, the, the chorus continues in verse 9. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is, this is our God, the servant king. This is, this is him. We surrender our lives to him because he was willing to come and die for us. We exalt his name, not so that his name will be exalted, but because we declare simply how great he is. 
We know him. We know God the Father because we know Christ the Son. We can talk to God the Father because Christ the Son has, has brought us together with, with God. We can pray to the, our Father, not only through Jesus, but we can pray to Jesus. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples in John 14, he says, ask anything in my name and I'll grant it to you. When he says anything in my name, it actually, that phrase comes with a condition. Ask for anything in my name. They go asking for Ferraris and Lamborghinis, but ask for things that exalt the name of Christ and you'll get it. We pray that famous prayer in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, which says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the Father says, This is my Son who I love, I am well pleased. As we've just read, there is no other name uh, higher than his. And friends, when we are gathered right now, we are gathered together in his name, aren't we? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, when two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I'm there with you. And that's the birth of the church, the church of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we learn not only is his name great, not only can we pray in his name, but that we are saved through no other name other than him. Acts 4, verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And brothers and sisters, we fail this command, commandment number three, if we believe otherwise. If, we, if there's anyone here um, listening to this who still believes that there are many paths to God, then you are disobeying the third commandment. There is no other name under heaven through which we can be saved. Now can I add to that? You might declare that there is no other saviour other than Jesus, but do you live your life as if he's the only, only saviour? Or are you still fighting that, that fight that brings your name up somewhere uh, so that there will, you have some form of identity, something that you equate to salvation? It's your own definition of salvation that is found somewhere else other than bowing your knee to Jesus and receiving all of the, the blessings that come through him, the glory. We've been, we've been entrusted with a name that is above any other name, that no other name uh, may be used for salvation. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So let's not profane this name, but let's proclaim it. Don't profane it, proclaim it. There's a T-shirt that we could print. Don't profane it, proclaim it. And we, we wear his name. You realize this, we wear his name. When we, when we declare ourselves to be Christian, we belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. We are his. And we need to wear his name, just like Israel, uh, in an authorized way. Firstly, by the things we do, how we act. We read, uh, had read in Colossians that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it as, as a working for the Lord in his name. Uh, but in all of our deeds, we're to do it not for our glory, but for his. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
We are representing God on this earth by the things that we do. But not only what we do, what we say, and this really does speak to this commandment, doesn't it? It's about what we do with our mouths. In our words, James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, with the, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, and brothers and sisters, this should not be, says James. But going further than this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, says that we need to be declaring Christ with our mouths. All of this is from God, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This is the gospel. And he has committed to us, to you and to me, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what God has entrusted to us. We have the name to present to the world through whom everyone can be saved. And people can't be saved unless they hear this great news of salvation. And so it's been entrusted to us to speak his name so that we can, like ambassadors, you know, if you speak to a US ambassador on Australian soil, he is representing America when he speaks to you. We Christians, when we speak, we are representing Christ. We are being Christ to people. And so we need to be ambassadors speaking this world. And what does it say? It says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's a good thing to know the Lord by name. What a precious name we've been entrusted with. We've been entrusted with it. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In his name, we are reconciled to God. In his name, we can pray to the Father. In his name, we call the world to be saved. And he, friends, he's the sweet bit. As easy as it is, we can flippantly bring his name to the, to the gutter. But what he has done in coming to earth, dying on the cross, taking our sins away, is to take your name and to change it. He takes your name and elevates it. He takes your name, gives you a new name. And with that name, he preciously and he del deliberately and sacrificially writes that name in the book of life. So that when you meet God face to face and he says who do you belong to you can declare the name of Jesus and Jesus will declare your name and welcome you in so we can enjoy eternity with him this is what life is about and so we have a, we have a great opportunity to live and do our lives properly and using the name of the Lord with all authority we misunderstand this commandment if we simply try and avoid using God's name. We're not to avoid it. We're actually to use it and use it a lot and use it properly. We must wear his name. So let's not profane it. Let's proclaim it like no other name. Let me pray. Lord God, it's such a privilege that you would entrust salvation to us. Lord, we are undeserving 
of your love and we do not even deserve to know you. It is so easy for us to be flippant about our relationship with you, but we pray, Lord, that you would instill in us today and remind us and fill us with all joy knowing that you have done everything for us at the cross. Lord, please um, forgive us, have mercy on us, and allow us, in your great name, to be ambassadors for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.